0: If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We're going to be looking at 1 Corinthians 13 today. Uh, If that sounds familiar to you, it probably is because it is. Uh, 1 Corinthians 13 is one of the most famous, if that's the word for it, passages in the Bible. It's the love chapter. In fact, uh, you, you might think that in the life of a, of a preacher, that there are certain scriptures that are just kind of dream scriptures, right? That you think, when I get to preach that, that's going to be like a week off, you know? Uh, 23rd Psalm, you know, I should just be able to riff on this, or Jesus walking on water, or Daniel in the lion's den, or the flood, or whatever. Well, this is, this is one of those passages of scripture. This is, this is the, the love chapter. Love is patient. Love is kind. You know, and, and 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 you've seen this passage in so many ways on pre-printed wedding invitations, on cross-stitch. We have a right there, right? See, isn't it beautiful cross-stitch? My wife is glaring at me because she's done a cross-stitch, but this is not her cross-stitch. Hers is hers is much more elegant and <laughs> lovely, and I think it's going to hang in my office now. But here's the thing. When you come to a passage of scripture that is familiar, it's hard to rescue truth from the jaws of familiarity. It's hard to say, do I really understand what this passage is about, or do I just kind of know what it says? Because you can repeat something, because you can think something through and kind of memorize it, doesn't necessarily mean that we know what it says. In fact, sometimes what it's meaning to say to us is very different from what we think. We see this passage, and it is a unquestionably a glorious passage of Scripture, maybe one of the more glorious uh, poems in Scripture of, of expressing what it is, what love is, and how love functions and how it works. And yet, we know that it's 1 Corinthians 13, which means that it's, 13 chapters into a book that has context before it, where Paul has been writing for 12 chapters now, setting up for this. And when you look at those first 12 chapters, which we've been doing for the last, I don't know, for the last three months of working our way, four months even, working our way through 1 Corinthians, what we've seen is that this is a very hard letter that Paul is writing. He's writing it to immature Christians, first-generation Christians, who are trying to figure out what it looks like for them to do life together as a church, and they're failing. And where they're failing is they're failing in the area of unity and affection and love for each other. And instead, they're divided, and they're tearing each other down. And Paul has been building this case, this long case of here's all the ways that you have been failing at love. And then we come to 1 Corinthians 13, and he says, this is what love is. And it's really a foil to everything that he's been talking about for them. He's saying, this is what love is, and you're not that. (laughs) And so it's beautiful on the wedding invitation and on the cross stitch, but there's some force behind this. There's power behind this that's important for us to understand, to really grasp the wonder and the beauty and the glory of what Paul is really saying. This past week, an era came to an end in the world, in this country and in the world, Um, and that is the era of the space shuttle. The space shuttle came back down and NASA said, all right, that's the end of that. We're going to do something else now, right? And so it's been all over the news, people talking about this. And so it's been a great week if you're into space travel, right? Who's with me? You're into space travel, yeah, there we go. If you're into space travel, there's been lots of great interviews on the radio and on TV of astronauts talking about this this program. And and I was listening uh, to the radio and I heard this interview going on with this guy who had been on the International Space Station for the better part of a year. And the interviewer was saying, What is that like? What is it like to be in space for the better part of a year? And where he really kind of got my attention was he said, you know. After about two months, you sort of get used to the weightlessness, and I just kind of perked up because I thought, what is that like? What is it like to, to, to be weightless? I, I just can't imagine how disorienting that would be, to be up there in the space station and, and to not be able to pour coffee into a mug, to, 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 to have to you know, to to be floating all the time And, and the laws of physics that you're so accustomed to, you just sort of forget them and kind of the weightlessness and the floating out there becomes your new normal to where you don't even really think in terms of if I drop something, it's going to fall to the ground and break. You've kind of moved on from that. I think that as people, we can get disoriented like this where we think that the world that we live in now is the normal, is the way it's supposed to be for us forever. And so we get used to the brokenness around us, and we get used to the places where things are not as they're meant to be. There's an ache in us. There's this kind of a, of a, of a faint sort of weird... C.S. Lewis put it this way, if I find in myself a longing that nothing in this world can satisfy... The most reasonable explanation is that I was made for another world. And I don't care who you are or what you believe, we all know this longing. It's when we grieve over death. And we, there's a part of us that says, this is not the way it's supposed to be. When we, when we have broken relationships and we know that they're broken and we know that we're part of the reason that they're broken and we hurt over that and we lose sleep over that, there's something in us that's saying, this is not the way it's supposed to be, this isn't right. Right? And what the Bible is telling us is, yes, it's not right. It's not right. It's not supposed to be normal. It's not supposed to be something that you settle into and say, this is just the way that it is. There's supposed to be something in us that rises up and says, no, I don't want this. I want, I want what's right. I, I want to be satisfied in this place where I can't find it here. And Paul is writing to this church of people much like us, who are trying to figure out how to make this existence of ours normal. And he's saying, you're created for glory. You're created to be in face-to-face relationship with the maker and lover of your soul. You're made to know and to walk with God. And yet we're like the astronauts in the space station who kind of just get used to the weightlessness. And we forget about the gravity of what it means to be made in his image and to be made for relationship with him. That's what's happened with this church in Corinth. That's what happens with us. And Paul gets here and he gets to really the heart of, let me talk to you about the most powerful thing in the universe, and that is love. God is love the love of God, the perfect love working itself out, addressing all the places that you're broken. He gets to this and he says, listen to this. I want you to understand what love is. So I want to read the passage and then dig into it a little bit. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And if I have all faith so as to move mountains, but have not love, I'm nothing. If I give everything I have away and deliver my body up to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the impartial Let's pray. Lord, this is your word. This is you giving us words that are uh, glorious and magnificent in their scope and also are like a prosecuting attorney at the table across from us, showing us all the places where we fail. Uh, Lord, would you help us to see the beauty and the wonder of the gospel and to see grace in your invitation for us and your call for us. To live as people who love each other well. Uh, Father, would you, would you grant us the humility to acknowledge that we, we forget the gravity of what it means uh, to be yours. Uh, and, and there are many places where we have accepted uh, much less uh, than you've called us to. Father, thank you so much uh, for your word here. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen and amen. So, we talked about the context of the first 12 chapters of this book. But I want to remind us specifically of just some of the things that Paul has been addressing uh, for this church. Places where they have been struggling, where they have been disunified, where they have been immature, where they have been failing each other. So far we've hit topics like prostitution being rampant in the church, incest, drunkenness, drunkenness at the communion table, Uh, envy, jealousy, people comparing themselves to each other in order to determine who ranks where, where the person of most value is versus the person of least value. There have been people who have been giving their allegiance to men, uh, saying, I follow Paul, and some saying, I follow Peter, and some saying, I follow Apollos. There's been failing marriages. There's been idolatry. All these things he's been writing about and so when we come to this chapter it's on the heels of all that and the definition that he gives here he's contending for them to understand what it means to love well because they don't have any hope of unity (laughs) they don't have any hope of unity as a church if they don't have love even with the most impressive gifts. And some of these people, like here at Midtown, have really impressive gifts. And Paul says, you can have the greatest gifts in the world, but if you don't have love, it doesn't matter. You're just making noise. That's all you're doing is you're just making noise. And this poses a question for us. And the question is, (laughs) how much noise are you making right now in your life? where you're just looking at your gifts and your talents and your abilities and you're just muscling through in order to demonstrate somehow, some way, you should appreciate me for these things. Where do you do that in your life? Where are you, as Paul says, a a clanging symbol? where you're exercising a gift, but you're doing it without love? See, here's the thing. Paul doesn't write this beautiful cross-stitch tapestry of love in order to say to the church, you guys should really discover love. It's wonderful. Let me extol the virtues of love so that you want some of this in your life because if you just want some of this in your life and you just take it and bring it into your life, it's going to be so great. That's not his point. See, that's the idea that love is like a puppy that you just sort of scoop up and put in your lap and you pet and you name it. and You just think, oh, it's so nice to have love. The love that Paul is talking about in this chapter is, is not like a warm puppy. It's more like a fire-breathing dragon in your living room, and he's hungry and he's looking at you. He's going to devour you. Or if you don't like that illustration, love is not a warm bowl of soup on a cold day. Love is you in a barrel going over Niagara Falls. Love is not meant to just make you feel tingly and good. Love wrecks you. It shines a light into the darkest corners of your soul. It's not just an emotion that you employ at will, but it is the leading attribute of the divine, saying this is God at work. That's what love is. It's so much bigger than us. That's what Paul's saying. And when you look at the list now in the light of that, of him saying, I'm not extolling the virtues of love so that you would want it, but instead I'm warning you about it. I'm warning you about love. Because you're called to love, but here's what it's gonna mean. And then he gets into the list. He says it's patient. It's patient. That means it doesn't walk away. It endures. It stays in the relationship we're not patient we're not we're, we, we've got everybody in our lives on the clock and you have a certain amount of time to prove yourself worth keeping around now, some of you may say that's not me but okay fine it's in you okay it's in you it's in you to walk away from or destroy or damage every meaningful relationship in your life it is it may not be your present reality but it's in you to do that I know this It's in me. Love is kind. It's gentle. It's considerate. But we're not kind. We're kind until somebody crosses us and then we draw a line and we say, I'm done with you. Love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It seeks face-to-face honesty, truth in the relationships and the way that we relate to each other. We envy people. We envy people's gifts. We envy their talents. We, 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 we see things that people can do and we want them. And then we take the things that we're good at and we boast about them for our own glory. Paul is saying love doesn't, love doesn't do that. Love isn't arrogant or rude. There's a moderating influence of love that restrains, it bridles our pride. It tempers our aggression. It opposes the sort of pride that would lead me to dismiss you out of hand. It's not arrogant. And yet, the overwhelming testimony of Scripture is we as a people are so arrogant that we want to put ourselves in the place of God. Idolatry. Love doesn't insist on its own way, but we do. <laughs> We insist on our own way. In fact, a lot of the relationships that we maintain in our lives are relationships that are there because these are people who seem to have agreed to go with us on our way. Love isn't irritable or resentful. It restrains grudges. Resentment is, is like a teeth-clenched disdain or contempt for Somebody. And Paul's saying, that's not not love. Love isn't irritable or resentful. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing, it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things. I want people to carry my burdens, but I don't really want to carry theirs. Paul's saying, that's not how love works. Love bears all things. Love makes you a servant, it believes all things. And I think what he means here is it believes the best. That I'm not leading with suspicion. That I'm not looking at you and trying to figure out the ways that you're going to mess with me. But I'm, I'm I'm wanting to believe the best in you. Love hopes all things. I want the potential in others to be realized. I want to rejoice when you rejoice, and love endures all things. I want to grieve with you when you grieve, and our hearts are so often so far from this. And so Paul is painting this picture of love. And it would be one thing if this was the chapter, if it was just Paul saying, all right, guys, you're, you're failing at love. Let me tell you what love is. It's these things. Stop doing the opposite, you know? It would be an easy, easy conclusion to draw from this chapter, right? That, that Paul is just saying, get your head on straight. You're failing at love. Here's what love is. Stop doing the things that are against this. But that's not where he stops. He continues on with this cosmic idea. He kind of pulls off into space again. And he starts talking in these big pictures. He starts talking about knowledge and prophecy and tongues and wisdom. And he says, these things are going to cease. You remember that when we read it? Does that ever strike you as weird? I mean, you ever think, how can knowledge cease? Do we become just disembodied spirits that don't know anything anymore? I think what he's talking about is he's talking about the process of gaining knowledge. He's talking about learning. He's talking about through prophecy in tongues. He's talking about the unknown being made known. That in your world, do you have any idea how little you know? (laughs) And Paul is saying, you in this life, this is a process of the unknown being made known. That you go to school and you learn things about history. You learn about, you know, Tennessee. And you learn about the history of the United States. And you learn about um, people in space getting used to weightlessness. And we learn about all these different things. And Paul says, that, that part of your existence where there's a lot that you don't know and you're in a discovery, guess what? That's not normal. That's not normal. That's a part of living this side of glory. That, that you see through a glass darkly. That there's a lot of things that you don't understand. And Paul is saying that's not, that's not in the picture of eternity. In the big spectrum of things, that's not normal. He's taking us up here to tell us something about love. If love was just the warm puppy that we're supposed to hold in our lap, then what the, this passage of Scripture would be saying is Paul saying, train the puppy, right? Learn how to make, make love work for you. But he's not. He's saying, this is what love is. You've been loved by the love of God. You've been called together in him. You've been made one body, joined together, inseparable, many parts. Christ is the head, and love is coming from him, and it's coming to you through him, and it's coming to each other through you. And he's saying, this is the normal that you're called to. This is what you're called to engage with. Here's what it looks like patient. It's kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It doesn't resent. This is the picture that he's giving, but he's warning us about love in this because he's saying love is the one thing in your life that will never, ever, ever, ever go away. It will never run its course. It will never be through. That uh, same interview with that uh, astronaut who was in the space station, somehow they got on the topic of uh, Hygiene in space, which, you know, I, I was surprised how quick my mind goes to hygiene in space, um, because those are the kind of things that you think, all right, I can see how you would eat food out of a pouch and all these things, but how do you, like, just, you know. Anyway, <laughs> so she was saying, so, like, when, you, like when your spacesuit gets dirty, do you, like, wash it? You know, how does that work? And he said, actually, we, we don't really have the capability to wash our spacesuits, um, he said, you know, it's kind of this, in space, we have this incredible capacity to carry tons and tons and tons of things from the earth up into, up into orbit. But what we don't have the capability to do is to bring things back. And he said, you know, what we would do with the spacesuits is we can't wash them in space, and so they're basically single use. You wear it until it smells too bad, and then you just throw it away and you get a new one. And she was like, well, but what do you do with the trash? And he said, well, we, we, we put all that waste in a capsule, and then we send it back to Earth. And then it hits the atmosphere, and it burns up and disintegrates. Okay, that's kind of awesome, <laughs> right? That space trash is burning up in our atmosphere before it has a chance to hit the Earth. Just, you guys are doing awesome bearing with me in these spaceman illustrations for love. But it's important because we're weightless in space thinking that's normal. And Meister Eckhart said, God is at home. We're the ones in the far country. And when Paul is talking about love, he's talking about home. And he's saying there are a lot of things in your life that are in that capsule of things that will never return, that will never make it back, like knowledge. Why knowledge? Because right now, there's a lot of things that you don't know. But in eternity, in the presence of God, in that face-to-face relationship with Him, on the other side of glory, you will know. Prophecy, this expression of the Word of God to people that we might know Him and walk with Him and follow Him. This revealing of what is unknown to make it known. In glory... You will know. You won't need that. And then he even says, faith, hope, and love. Abide. These are the, what he's saying is, these are the finest things in the life of a Christian. Faith. This belief that I was made for a relationship with the one who made me. That he loves me. That he loves me so much that even in my brokenness, that he sent his son to die for my sins, to atone for my sins, to give me his righteousness and to take his sin upon himself, and to die on the cross, and then to rise victorious over the grave, to be my living Savior, that I believe in him, and I believe that because I believe in him, I will never be separated from the love of God ever, that nothing can separate me from the love of God. That's faith. Faith is one of the finest things that the Christian has, and he says hope. Hope is the The child of faith, you know, that you have this belief and hope is the preservation of that belief. It's the longing for it, the clinging to it, the ongoingness of faith is hope. And then he says the greatest of these, though, is love. And here's why. This is a big thought and it's a glorious thought. The reason that love is better than faith and that love is better than hope is that both faith and hope are in the capsule that's going to burn up in the atmosphere. See, faith is believing in something that we haven't seen. Faith is believing in the God who is calling us home, though we're not face-to-face with him now. But when we are, we won't need faith. Faith will have run its course. That's kind of wild, isn't it? That I won't need to believe in him because he will be everything. And I won't need to hope, because hope is what we're longing for, to see realized and to see perfected. But Paul says, when perfection comes, all that will be done away with. Faith and hope are on the clock. They will cease. But what we will take, what we will take, when we come to this place where we belong, For all eternity is love. Love will remain. The love of God for us, our love for him, perfected. It's a beautiful thing. So what does that mean for us? In this chapter, Paul is calling us. Understand that the world that you live in is bigger than you think it is. Understand that the reality that you're trying to keep together, like stacks of cash on a table, and you're just trying to keep anybody from taking it, it's all going to burn all these things that you're trying to protect, all these things that you're saying, if I only have this, I'll have meaning and I'll have worth and I'll have value. Well, all it's doing is it's just separating you from other people. It's it's cutting love into little tiny pieces. And Paul is saying, you're treating love like you're the master of it, like you control it, like you dole it out. But love rules you. God rules you. He's called, he, he, he's not called to anything, he's God. He rules over you. His love is all-powerful. I pray that when you think about your life, when you think about your relationships, when you think about this, this chapter of Scripture that is so glorious that would awaken in us a sense of wonder, a sense of wonder of the greatness of God, that we would be like these little weightless astronauts rubbing the fog off the little round window looking at the glory that awaits and that we would long for this and that we would say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Teach me what it means to rest in your love and to love as you love. Would you wreck me with your love? Would you overcome me? Would you overwhelm me? And would you make me a person who doesn't believe that I control love, but that love is meant to rule me? Pray with me. Lord, thank you for um, this passage of Scripture. Thank you for the way that it makes its way around, uh, that, uh, that we have this this place in your word where people have, uh, whether they've believed or not, where they've latched on to this uh, expression of what it means to love well. But Father, I pray also that you would help us to be people who don't uh, think of, of love and the function of love in our lives as, as something that we just... Um, um, control, but but that we would understand that to really love is to come under the influence of you, um, to to yield to you, to, to 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 want to live in relationships with other people in the way that you live in relationship with us. Uh, Father, thank you that all these things in this scripture um, are so true of you and your love for us. That you are kind to us. Uh, that you're patient with us, that you believe in us. Uh, Gosh, Lord, that's such a hard way to say it. Uh, That you ascribe to us value and worth that is uh, more magnificent than what we believe about ourselves. Um, Father, thank you for the gift of your son, for this this gift of your love to redeem us and to restore us. Father, I pray uh, for all of us in this room that we would consider w- the function of love in our lives, and even whether we uh, know you and have a relationship with you. Father, it, it is uh, such a glorious thing uh, to know you and to walk with you, even in the challenges of, of living this side of you. Of eternity with you forever. Um, Lord, thank you for the power and the wonder of your word. Lord, I ask your blessing upon this congregation. Lord, I ask your blessing upon the Siombers uh, and upon the Bremners and their families too today. Lord, just a special blessing upon them. Um, Thank you so much for your love for us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.